0: Welcome
1: to my mommy's podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Moms podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I'm here with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Brooke Kalanick, who takes a balanced approach to health using both conventional and alternative therapies to address... Uh, root causes via functional medicine methodologies. In her practice, she primarily helps women with Hashimoto's, PCOS, perimenopause, and menopause, as well as other female hormone imbalances. And I get a lot of questions about these, so I'm really excited for her to shed some light on these topics today. And with the women she works with, she helps to reset their hormones, their heads, and their habits so that they can finally feel at home in their bodies. So welcome, Dr. Brooke. Thanks for being here.
0: Thanks, Katie. I'm happy to be here.
1: It's going to be a fun conversation, and I feel like um, you're going to have an amazing perspective. I was reading over your blog over the weekend, and you have some great information. I get a lot of questions about PCOS, and it's one of the health problems I don't have direct experience with. I have Hashimoto's I have a lot of personal experience with, but I think you have a great um, perspective on this. So to start off, can you just explain what PCOS is? I'm sure a lot of women understand that term, but for anyone listening who doesn't.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, this is actually something that I have. So some of my specialties I I have and some of them I don't. So I also have a specialty. Um, I work with a ton of women with Hashimoto's and there is some overlap. So maybe we'll have some people that fall in that camp as well. But PCOS is a sort of a difficult, um, diagnosis and criteria that leaves women really confused. And part of the problem is the way we diagnose it is it's, anything that's a syndrome in medicine tends to be there's X number of criteria or symptoms um, or lab findings. And you have to have like a certain number on a list and then we can call it that. And the problem is this condition just really doesn't look the same for every woman. So what PCOS stands for is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So polycystic meaning there's multiple like faulty follicles that don't quite work right um, on the ovary. And some women do have that finding, you can do an ultrasound and see this, you know, these little um, abnormal follicles in multiple small follicles versus the one that a woman would normally have from an ovulation. There's these teeny ones that don't work quite right. Sometimes that's really obvious on an ultrasound, and that's how some women find out they have this. Other women either have some other lab testing or symptoms that are sort of the hormonal fallout from these faulty follicles. So this can look like. Acne, irregular cycles, uh, difficulty conceiving. This is one of the main reasons women. Um, it's one of the leading causes of infertility in the the Western world. Um, some women just struggle with um, their cycle being irregular. Some it goes missing for um, you know parts better parts of a year. Some women aren't cycling at all. And the problem with this, unfortunately, is that. A lot of women that are struggling with this and struggle to get a diagnosis and help because they don't necessarily look the part. Some of the classic findings of PCOS are not having a regular period, breakouts, hair growth, either on the face, the arms, the lower stomach, um, just it's coarser and more uh, dark usually for women, and then difficulty conceiving, breakouts, I may have mentioned that one already, Um, so and, and weight gain can be a huge piece of this, but that's not, um, not all women have all of those things. So it's a little bit tricky. I'm hoping in time, um, we continue to understand this better and the sort of complex hormonal interactions that are at play with PCOS. And we have some better criteria because at a base, I think we need to have, um, different forms or different types of PCOS. So women who don't look that classic park don't go so long, um, uh, without getting help.
1: That makes perfect sense. So basically to make sure I understand, like I feel like actually my thyroid diagnosis was similar to this, although there are some more concrete numbers with thyroid, but it's almost like a process of elimination or you have to be like clinically diagnosed by a doctor who's for one aware of those symptoms and who can put those pieces together. But also it's not like a clear checkmark type of diagnosis based on any of those factors necessarily. So that. I can understand that would make it really confusing to actually get a diagnosis.
0: Yeah, and then unfortunately, it's just, you know, women are left without a lot of good options. But how, you know, however, though, the options for PCOS in the Western model are not so great. So some of the other lab findings I can mention and sort of testing, we talked about the ultrasound, but trouble with your blood sugar, so an elevated fasting glucose or an elevated hemoglobin A1c, that, Sometimes is present as is an elevated prolactin, the hormone that we make to help us um, make milk after we um, have babies and are breastfeeding. That can be elevated in PCOS. We can have um, low reserve hormones for our ovaries. We can have elevated testosterone, and many, many women. Many women have an overlap of a thyroid and. Um, uh, PCOS problem, so sometimes thyroid in and of itself can cause this syndrome. Um, so there is a lot of overlap, and a lot of hormones can be can be off. And again, women have some of those, and they don't always have to have every single thing on the list. So it does get a little bit, you know, confusing for some women to know is this really the cause of my issues and. Especially in the woman who is already eating pretty well and um, getting some exercise, some of those findings aren't so you know glaringly clinically out of range and it's a little bit more subtle, especially women that don't have the classic you know pcOS body type. they're not really struggling with any extra weight. It's not difficult for them to lose weight, so they often really get missed.
1: That makes sense. I actually have had several friends in the past who fit those criteria like they looked very fit and healthy. And you would never have guessed from looking at them that they had any health problem whatsoever. But then when they were trying to conceive a child or they were noticing small hormone problems, then they found out that they had PCOS. So it's interesting that you say that. And yeah, I hope you're right that there will be better diagnosis for these types of people who are probably silently struggling very much. So if someone comes to you with these symptoms or with the diagnosis of already having PCOS, um, where do you start with them?
0: Yeah, so a lot of women, this gets caught, you know, in puberty, and they are put on the pill immediately. Some women, like you know, more like people you were just mentioning, your friends, that you know, it's sort of like things are a little bit off, but it's you know, not quite caught until they try to get pregnant, and then we might do a little more investigating. And part of the problem is with PCOS is you know the symptoms aren't necessarily life threatening; they're worrisome and troublesome. And for some women, again, you know, it doesn't really rear its head until they try to get pregnant. So. In the conventional world, our treatments are the birth control pill and sometimes metformin if the insulin resistance is significant enough and sometimes something called spironolactone, which can help with the uh, hair growth and some of the breakouts, and that's really kind of it. And then when you go to get pregnant, you can use things like Clomid or Femora. Um, so the pill is one of those really interesting things that many women when they get this diagnosis are just told, well, here's the pill. This is You need to be on this forever. You're going to regulate your cycle with this. You'll start getting normal periods, and I use normal in quotations because you're getting a regular period, but it's not a normal period because it's induced by the birth control pill if you weren't having a cycle before. So that's that's unfortunately kind of the case. It's the pill until if you want to get pregnant, back on the pill, or if you don't want to get pregnant, it's the pill until menopause, and then you switch to some other you know, hormone replacement. And unfortunately, two things happen. One, the pill is going to just mask the symptoms. It's absolutely not fixing anything. There's this disruption between, you know, the brain and the ovaries. The ovaries are not functioning properly. There's this, you know, sequelae, this consequence that comes from having these hormone issues. So, you know, the progesterone gets low because those insulin surges trigger the progesterone to get turned into testosterone. It continues to get further out of whack. The ovulation becomes worse and worse. Um, And then the fallout from that is breakouts and the irregular periods and the terrible PMS and all of those things. And so the pill is going to mask that. And the pill is going to do a great job of giving you a 28-day cycle. I mean, that it will also do a great job of not getting you pregnant, but everything else that's going on and all that stuff below the surface, it doesn't get solved by the pill. we don't fix the insulin resistance, and we don't enhance the health of the ovaries and we don't do anything for the thyroid. in fact, we can make the thyroid a little worse being on the pill so While the pill is there for contraception and it can be there to like mitigate the the breakouts and the cycle irregularity, it's really not fixing anything so And for the most part, whatever was there to go in, when we go on the pill to fix a hormone, whatever was wrong when we started the pill, it's going to be there waiting for us when we come off the pill, should we want to get pregnant or we're just, you know, looking to do things differently. Um, It'll be there. And often with the case of PCOS, it's those issues are a little bit worse because you've had even more time of having hormonal disruption. So getting to The stuff that we need to do or that I do in my practice with women is we need to focus on the insulin resistance as kind of a core issue and then manage the other symptoms that can vary a little bit for women. Some women are having a lot of breakouts. We might need to really work on testosterone metabolism and skin health and the biotransformation and metabolism of hormones and gut health. And whereas someone else, maybe it's not that. Maybe we're not getting a cycle at all and we really need to make a change in the health of the ovaries, try to get those things signals going through. So some of that can vary, but at the core of this is this insulin resistant problem. So for those of you that don't know what insulin is, it's the hormone that lowers our blood sugar. So we eat and our blood sugar, our fuel level will rise and then insulin comes along and helps us put nutrients and glucose and proteins and fats away. So we put them in our body fat and in our liver and in our muscles to store them for later use. So insulin's our storage hormone. And with insulin resistance, we have more insulin around. More often we can get an exaggerated response to say carbohydrate or a carbohydrate fat compound in our nutrition and then blood sugar rises our insulin levels rise and these receptors are resistant to the message so the receptors on our tissue on our and this varies um, from woman to woman and even in the same woman this level of resistance so the ability for these different tissues to see this hormone and say okay I know what you want me to do you want me to take in this nutrient from the bloodstream that Level of sensitivity or the level of resistance is different. Whether that's in me or in some other woman with PCOS, it's also different in my muscle cells versus my fat cells versus my liver cells. So there, that accounts for some of that body type difference and some of the you know difference between symptoms for various types of PCOS. Is it depends a lot on where your tissue is and on a, on the insulin sensitivity spectrum. So when we have insulin resistance in a tissue, it's not going to heed that message very well. And what happens in that case is your body will just secrete more of the hormone. And this just becomes like a vicious cycle of furthering the problem that the hormone messages are just not getting through quite right. And this is where we end up with some of the metabolic consequences of PCOS. So this insulin resistance is one of the things that makes it difficult for us to lose weight. It makes it difficult for our ovaries to be healthy and produce hormones and it can make it really difficult to regulate energy appetite and craving so the insulin piece of it to some degree in my practice is always something we really need to work on because it's kind of the core um of this condition and that's managed by you know a number of ways in the medical world we give you metformin which is an insulin sensitizer and that can really work for some women I find that when most women really dig into fine-tuning their carbohydrate tolerance so their ability to kind of find their unique carb balance versus just going low carb or just um, watching carbs or just thinking about doing something more extreme like a ketogenic diet, when we really kind of focus on helping a woman figure out like what kind of carbs work best for me and how much and how many times a day am I somebody who needs a little bit, a couple times a day? Am I someone who needs maybe just one serving at dinner? And low carb is really all relative. You know, my low carb diet might be way too low for another woman with PCOS or it might be too high for someone else with PCOS. So the nutrition piece of it and managing insulin is kind of the crux of that. And when I find when women do that, sometimes metformin is simply too strong because they've honed in on the food and the lifestyle and the exercise that works for them. So they don't need something as strong as metformin. Also, metformin causes a lot of digestive distress for some women, making it really difficult to take it. So in that case, or instead of metformin, we have some great nutrients. We've got minerals like chromium and vanadium that really, and alpha lipoic acid that can really do similar things to metformin. They can help your cells become more insulin sensitive, And also the nutrient berberine is excellent at lowering blood sugar. And then stepping aside from you know just what Supplements we can take, it is, you know, exercise is an amazing insulin sensitizer. So that becomes a really important you know, piece of the of the puzzle with me. And of course, because I'm a functional medicine doctor, we're not going to just look at you that you have PCOS. So you have a problem with estrogen, progesterone, maybe insulin and a problem with your ovaries. You, We're going to always look at how's your gut health? How's your, um, again, biotransformation or detoxification of hormones and stuff in your environment? How's your thyroid? Um, All of those things.
1: I love that. I love the holistic approach. And I know that there are people like you on the front lines doing that already, but I truly hope that over the next 10 years, we're going to see a more integrated, holistic approach to a lot of problems. Because like you said, if you treat it in isolation, you're only looking at the symptoms and your plan makes so much sense when you look at it in light of the whole body. Um, I'm curious too, I, since I have no experience with this, um, can people have a reversal or like a remission of PCOS? Is it reasonable to think that some people can actually stop the problem or is, it, um, is this going to be like a life, obviously a good diet needs to be a lifelong thing, but can people actually kind of see recovery from this?
0: For sure. And I, I tend not to use the word cure. And I know some people do and some people have said they their program cures PCOS or that even a person has said, I've cured my PCOS. To me, um, this is sometimes a genetic issue. Sometimes it's compounded absolutely by lifestyle. And so for me, I think of it as PCOS for me is my metabolic Achilles heel. It is the thing that if I don't take care of myself and I do things that tax my metabolism and don't work for my hormones, then it's going to rear its head. I'm going to start breaking out. My cycle's going to get longer. I'm going to gain weight. My mood is going to be worse. So, and that's my particular (laughs) flavor of PCOS. So, it's, I feel, actually, I think remission is a great word. So, absolutely. And this is a diet and lifestyle manageable condition. I mean, you can do a whole lot with this one, which is why our, you know, Western model on this one is something that really falls very, very short. We've got great things in modern medicine and I'm not opposed. I was a pharmacist before I did what I do now. I'm certainly not opposed to medications when they work. Um, sometimes that's necessary for someone until they can kind of get the diet and lifestyle piece in play. Or again, sometimes the pills the answer because for whatever reason, you know, that's the optimal um, birth control method, or you're going through a time when you just really need to have those symptoms managed. But if you can dig in with those things, you can have a lot of control, much better overall health, less fallout from some of the consequences of these medications. And this is one area where, you know, lifestyle and nutrition and all of those things really do shine. We've got some really great. Tools in this. Same thing, you know, like you've experienced with Hashimoto's. There's only so many options in the medical toolbox for Hashimoto's. We've got the medication, and that's really about it. But we know there's so many other things that we can do to help someone with Hashimoto's, or in this case, PCOS, feel so much better and have so much more control in this condition and get themselves to a place of remission.
1: Absolutely. I make that parallel sometimes. And I think about the fact that when I am like sleeping the way I know I need to sleep and when I'm eating the way I need to eat and taking the, the few supplements I know that really make a difference for me, I sort of don't have thyroid disease at all. Uh, it's when those things get out of order and I let them slip or stay up too late or have some kind of lifestyle problem that it. actually I only see the symptoms then. And it, that's even less and less. So I know that's going to be encouraging to a lot of women um, to hear, especially um, let's talk a little bit more about the weight loss, because I know that's uh, definitely a common association with PCOS is difficulty losing weight. Are you seeing women who are able to even lose weight?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, when you get all the metabolic pieces in place, you know, you're gonna unlock that your your body cares so much more about, you know, are you able to produce and stay alive than it does reproduce and stay alive than you if you genes fit. That's just we're hardwired for survival. So and if you think about what this issue is, you know, insulin resistance is our storage hormone. So you're going to be really good and it's an anabolic hormone. It builds you up. So it's how you make muscle. It's also how you make fat. It's also how you store vitamins and, you know, nutrients for future use. So with PCOS, there's sort of two body types I see with PCOS that are typically called the heavy type and the lean type, which I hate. I think we have enough hangups about body image and um, we associate heavy with you know, bad and lean with good. So I steer totally clear of that. I try to look at what's actually happening and kind of take the emotion of it out and like, let's Mm -hmm. look at what's happening in your body. So are you having more of that, remember I said that insulin resistance kind of varies from tissue to tissue. Do you have your fat cells that are really good at taking in all that extra glucose and fat? Then that's going to be the tissue that builds up a little bit more for you. So that's one body type where you're putting down body fat pretty easy. and It's really hard to get it off. Whereas the other type, I feel like their muscles take nutrients in really, they deal more with their body fat being more resistant. So they don't immediately push stuff right to body fat. They tend to you know, move it more towards their muscles, they deal more with like sucking in nutrients into the muscle and often have periods of low blood sugar. So that type, while they don't tend to be um, someone who's like, having to lose a lot of weight, even you'd ask them, they, they may have like five to 10 pounds that no matter what they do, it's very, very difficult because of the insulin resistance. So being an anabolic hormone and being a hormone that causes you to build up tissue, we tend to be great at putting on muscle. So most women who strength train as part of their PCOS exercise, we're really strong and that part comes pretty easy, but it's very difficult to tap into the body fat piece of it. So with that, we want to think about two things. Nutrition becomes huge. Nutrition becomes kind of the thing that will really move the needle for you on the body change. Exercise is great. Again, exercise in and of itself is a metformin, it is insulin sensitizing. It signals your muscles to take in glucose during when you're exercising. You actually can pull glucose into your muscle without insulin, so it's a great way to kind of sidestep this insulin um, resistance aspect and really get some good fuel into there. But we do put on muscle a little bit easier, so we can often tolerate a little bit more exercise. So sometimes lots of walking in addition to good strength training and even some traditional like steady state cardio, which is not that effective for most people who are trying to lose weight. More exercise, the better if you are someone with PCOS. And I don't mean you know running yourself into the ground, but getting a lot of activity, lots of walking, lots of just being active throughout the day in a pretty regular training schedule in addition to the nutrition piece of it. And again, really honing what works for you in terms of your carbohydrate tolerance. But also, inflammation is a huge piece of the PCOS and the insulin resistance problem. But inflammation is a huge piece of this. So inflammatory foods and poor fats in our diet is really, really important for this group of women. So looking at any food sensitivities, obviously starting with a good paleo template is a great baseline place to start Um, because it gets out a lot of the most inflammatory, egregious offenders, you may have some issues beyond that, making sure we don't eat a lot of processed foods with bad fats, which come in in processed foods, salad dressings, all of those sorts of things, and getting lots of healthy omega-3s from grass-fed meat and fish. And also, I find that this group of women, and any woman that's having hormonal struggles, we tend to be the ones that really have to watch too much animal fat, which as we, you know, practice any type of, you know, primal or paleo lifestyle, you know, what is it? It's all bacon, right? We are promoting lots of animal fat and fattier meats, which is fine in theory. We're not so much talking about the idea that fat is going to you know, kill us the way we used to think in the 80s. It's just that any animal fat is going to come with additional pollutants because we have a polluted environment and additional hormones. Even if it wasn't treated with a hormone, you know, animals just like us, they have their own metabolism. And so there's going to be some buildup of hormone-related compounds from the environment and even of the animal's own metabolism so not that you can never have those things but rather than thinking of really heavy fat diet i like to think of leaner proteins for these women again pcos or any hormonal issues so chicken fish turkey leaner red meats, bison, lean pork those tend to be better nutrition choices for us because they sort of lower our excess hormone burden because we're already dealing with you know hormonal disarray
1: Gotcha. And I would think like, especially you said increasing omega-3s is good. So you could just substitute like fish or fatty fish instead to make sure you're getting good fats. Absolutely. There's a ton of options there. And I love what you said about strength training. Even I think women, in my opinion, who don't have PCOS, I think we could all benefit from strength training. There was such a negative perception of that for so long um, with the whole cardio craze of the 80s and all that. And I love that it's coming back around because Personally, like I know I feel better lifting really heavy weights and it certainly doesn't make you look muscular or bulky and it just does amazing things for all aspects of your body and your core strength and your functional movements. I love that you said that as well. Another thing that I get a lot of questions about and don't have any firsthand experience to share is endometriosis and I know that's um, you and I talked briefly before we started recording. That's a tricky thing even for um, the medical the conventional medical model, um, but there are some things I know that you talk about and that you do with that, so to start off, what is endometriosis, and how do you approach it?
0: Yeah, so this is another really frustrating um female hormone condition that our medical model doesn't have great options for, so what this is is the normal uterine lining and that endometrial so that's just the lining of your uterus that you normally shed when you have your cycle that lining and that tissue gets deposited not you know it gets deposited outside of the uterus so you have it there but then for whatever reason it's sort of and we don't totally understand why this happens but it's migrated out of the uterus up the fallopian tubes and now it might be you know stuck in your inside your body cavity or on your ovaries and it it makes its way outside of the uterus so we've got a proliferative you know excessive excuse me tissue in the uterus but then also Outside the uterus as well. So this becomes, it's very painful. Most women, their number one symptom when they have endometriosis is terrible pain. So with their cycle, they often can have Um, not only just pain with the cycle but pain throughout the cycle because it's in these other places and your body really does not like to have any type of foreign tissue in your body cavity it's very irritating and it causes a lot of inflammation because it's elsewhere as well that just like the uterine tissue responds to your cyclical hormone fluctuations and you know we know we shed the cycle and then this tissue kind of grows like you know, it's like it gets fertilized throughout the cycle, it grows like grass, and then it just sheds off. That's happening to these other tissues as well, outside the uterus. So this constant like response to the hormones and the shedding creates a lot of inflammation inside the body cavity and inside the uterus. And that can create some scar tissue. And these having these weird cells that don't belong in this area of your body, it makes your immune system do some interesting things as well. So at this point, endometriosis is not considered an autoimmune disease, but it definitely triggers your immune system in a way that's going to create more inflammation. There probably is some autoimmune component or at least an exacerbation of other autoimmune issues by having this. So that all of this immune activation that creates a lot of oxidative stress and a lot of inflammation and all of this, you know, can make women really, you know, not feel very good. And the pain can be significant. So the conventional treatment, we've got pain management or surgery or a hysterectomy. So the surgery in and of itself is a little dicey because two things that can create more scarring, which can be also painful. And we get sort of adhesions with this tissue and the tissue next to it because it's just really not supposed to be in some of the places that it is. And that can cause a lot of pain. That can be worsened sometimes by surgery. Also, the surgery can move some of the tissue and sort of transplant it into a new place that it's not supposed to be. And then also it can recur. So sometimes a woman will have this removed and they do great for a couple of years, but then things start to happen again. And then the hysterectomy, obviously, if you had hoped to be pregnant, this isn't an option at all. And I do think that's probably not again, getting to any of the, the root causes. So that's, that's what we have in the conventional world is really just managing the pain or um, you know, Trying to remove some of the tissue, but again, like PCOS, there's so much we can do. You know, in the realm of nutrition and exercise and lifestyle and supplements and good, like nutritional, like a good targeted nutrient plan to really help get this under control.
1: Got it. So, is it a similar approach to PCOS as far as nutritionally and exercise? And do we know, like, why we're seeing such a an increase in things like endometriosis? And what, like, are there things women can do to avoid it in the first place?
0: yeah so we don't totally know what causes this like what causes that tissue to either is it increased you know pressure in the uterus that's causing a flow up back out of like what we call retrograde versus going you know out the cervix and the vaginal canal in that direction why is it making its way back up through the? we don't totally understand what causes this but we do know that the fallout is you know a lot of is inflammation so we really want to think about looking at this um, so it's a different root cause but there is still versus PCOS um, because we don't totally understand the root cause but looking at what happens, especially with regards to the inflammation. So if you're wanting to either get a leg up on this, because all you've really got is the pain management um, or hormones. Some women are, you know, put on progesterone, which to me, when we throw more hormone into a hormone excess situation, it's it's never really a good long-term solution. So getting what can we do more naturally to help, you know, set things right here. So first of all, in terms of pain management, we do have some good natural... Um, anti-inflammatories we've got fish oil that we mentioned we've got turmeric we've got boswellian ginger pegnogenol we've got some good antioxidants and nutrients that can work really well this is a condition that i find high dose turmeric like a couple grams a day same thing with resveratrol those are both great antioxidants and anti-inflammatories that can help with the pain sometimes we need to do some manual therapy to work on those adhesions because once those form those can be just painful um, in and of themselves particularly with intercourse but sometimes just you know with the the pain that goes with the cycle we also want to balance your hormones so we want to look at what can we do either with herbs or nutrients or stress management to get the progesterone balance better so the estrogen and progesterone are not in such um, disproportionate so we get what This is a condition we would describe as estrogen dominant. So estrogen dominant just means that estrogen is the dominating main hormone when and where maybe it shouldn't be. So the first two weeks of our cycle should be an estrogen dominant time. That's what those two weeks is. That's that follicle that's trying to ovulate, releasing hormones. But if we get too much estrogen metabolites or estrogen itself, too high or dominating over progesterone in the second half of the cycle, that's something we really want to try to balance. Or if we have poor liver biotransformation of these hormones, and all that means is we take the pieces and parts of the estrogen. And sometimes, you know, we break that down into something that's more problematic. So we want to really make sure that we're thoroughly metabolizing our own hormones. So that's, we can use something called DIM, which is a derivative of um, a nutrient found in broccoli and cruciferous vegetables, which is why Broccoli and Brussels sprouts and kale and all those things are thought to be great for estrogen-related issues, so that's why we want to eat those foods, but we can use that in a supplement as well. In a case like this, we would probably do a little bit higher doses, 100 milligrams a couple times a day. So that kind of can help at the level of the liver, as can things like n acetylcysteine, which is another great nutrient for PCOS, but, you know, 900 to 900 milligrams to a thousand milligrams of that a couple times a day can really help process and package these hormones as well. And then we want to get that on through the gut. So there's what goes on in the liver, and now we've got hopefully some healthier um, hormone metabolites there. But if we don't have a healthy gut, or where we're you know utilizing our gut flora really well to help deal with these estrogen metabolites and we don't have regular healthy bowel movements then those estrogens just continue to recirculate and you've got extra tissue in this case that's going to respond to them so it's not just what's in your uterus you now have tissue kind of scattered all throughout your abdominal cavity potentially that's going to respond which is what you know makes us such an uncomfortable condition so we really want to have tons of vegetables lots of good fiber this is a case where sometimes we'll use flax seeds and i do really like just um not the pre ground flax seeds, those go rancid almost immediately upon grinding. So, if you're going to use that kind of a food as medicine, get the seeds and do a couple tablespoons at night and just let them soak in a little bit of water. And they're kind of slippery and snotty in the morning, so they can feel a little bit weird, but you can just shoot those down as a, um, you know, just take that shot, that kind of slimy water, or you can throw that into some sort of protein shake or a smoothie that you're making, or you can use, you know, um, a high quality, you know, plant-based non-grain based fiber um, as well to get more veggies so those are just strategies to make sure we've got that gut really moving and then we want to think about this oxidative stress fallout because this is something so oxidative stress is the fallout of a lot of you know Just processes that go on in our body. Like if I eat any type of food and I have to take that into my cell and make ATP to make energy, to actually, you know, use that food as energy, that in and of itself will generate um, free radicals and oxidative stress. So, as will all this chronic inflammation. And so, we want to really support our internal antioxidant systems because when we can't quelch that that's when our immune system is going to continue to be agitated by all this and we risk either worsening autoimmune conditions or we can even risk triggering them when we lose that balance so this is nutrient our main sort of i talked about resveratrol and curcumin those are great antioxidants but our main kind of intracellular mm-hmm. deep down intercellular antioxidant that we have is something called glutathione and we can support that again with taking nac the nutrient that i mentioned n acetylcysteine, cysteine that will help us raise our glutathione but you can take glutathione in an in a capsule as well. Um, that is now liposomal glutathione we have available, and that's thought to get past the gut and get absorbed a little bit better. It's not an inexpensive supplement. NAC works really well. So try that first. It's a lot less expensive. If you're really ha- compromised in some of these areas, or if you do know you have an autoimmune issue, you might want to kind of leg up to some of that liposomal glutathione. And in this case, I will even use a topical glutathione. I use a com- a company called Apex Energetics makes um, a product called OxyCell, and then they have a super OxyCell, which has some added uh, nutrients for anti-inflammatory. And I'll just have women rub that literally right on their abdomen to kind of help at least get some locally um, glutathione and support you know, into the area. And then when it comes to diet, we've got, again, back to the paleo template. It really is a good way to naturally just lower some our intake of inflammatory foods and decreasing processed foods, which come with bad fats and sometimes a lot of food allergens, coffee and caffeine. There's some mixed research on whether or not these raise some of our estrogenic metabolites. So, you know, this can be something that it's at least worth looking at. If you're someone who, you know, really needs to have that cup of coffee in the morning, it may be worth looking at um, two things. One is coffee and caffeine, something that's aggravating this condition, but also with PCOS or with endometriosis, we do want to step away from this. Again, this, is this an estrogen and progesterone problem? And look at all the other stuff. How's your cortisol? How's your thyroid? How else can we support your system? You know, And what else do you need to look at in terms of your overall health? Sometimes we have to step away from the area of concern and the label of the condition that this is a problem with your endometrial lining, therefore your uterus, and therefore your female hormones cortisol is almost, and thyroid are so important in terms of metabolism and their effect on all the other hormones. We really want to make sure we're stepping back and really looking, you know, at all of those hormone systems because balance in those areas is always going to help balance your estrogen and progesterone.
1: Got it. I was over here taking notes so I can make sure I include all those points in the show notes as well. But I think that's really helpful to have like kind of practical tips people can Take And I'm curious too, um, I didn't have this on our question, so hopefully it's okay to throw this at you, but you also help women in menopause and perimenopause. Is it a similar approach for them um, since you are still supporting those hormones or are there differences when you get to the perimenopause and menopause stage?
0: So any female hormone issues you have, you know, in your 20s, 30s or 40s are going to make menopause worse. So if you don't, let's say you have PCOS and we just kind of, you know, let it run rampant. We never really got on top of it or you had endometriosis or you had adrenal fatigue and, you know, you didn't quite get on top of helping your you know, cortisol balance get in check, whenever we have any of those things leading into menopause, when those female hormones start to decline, it's gonna be much harder for us because we're gonna feel that drop much more significantly and so I feel like the 40s are the time to fix it. So the 20s were young and indestructible, that's what I'm trying to say. We put ourselves through a lot, right? We stay up too late, we're maybe working on our career or a you know, college degree, we're out having fun, and we can't really necessarily see how menopause might be for us. And then our 30s, often we're raising children, and maybe our careers really picked up and we're really taking care of everyone and everything and not ourselves. And then our 40s hit, and hopefully by that point, career's a little more stable, maybe kids are a little bit bigger. I mean, I had my kids late, so mine are, I'm 42 with very little children. Um, But the 40s, are. I feel like that's really our window, ladies, to take care of yourself and sort out these Hormone issues or those like nagging symptoms, the weight that's maybe creeping up or the bloating that's getting a little bit worse. And you know, but not none of those are life threatening, they're just annoying. Um, the fact that we can't fall asleep or stay asleep, the fact that we have really bad PMS, the fact that our cycle seems to be chasing changing, you know, we ignore all that stuff because it's kind of just annoying. And then we have this window of time i feel like in our 40s where hopefully we have some more resources and time to take care of ourselves and that's really the time because when you get into menopause whatever is there is just going to make that drop in female hormones you know much more you're going to feel that more you're going to have more symptoms or you're going to even try to take hormone replacement but we haven't fixed these underlying things so you get more of the problems associated with the hormone replacement whereas someone else might be able to take that to just give them a leg up and make things you know more even and we can work on making sure that's safe and effective but menopause brings so it brings your own hormone challenges with it. So whatever's going on is going to be maybe worse or make that menopausal transition harder for you. But when women go through that, adrenal health becomes super, super important because they're now playing backup for you to make any of your sex hormones as the ovaries start to shut down production. The adrenals play back up. So how many of us get into our 40s super, super tired, overworked, fatigued, and having a lot of symptoms, like I said, ranging from bloating to PMS. There there could be anything that's not, again, not life-threatening, maybe not even something you'd see your doctor about, but all of that stuff's going to kind of rear its head when the adrenals can't keep up with that production. And weight loss becomes a very different thing in this age group because our bodies change and our metabolism will change in response to having less progesterone and estrogen. So when those hormones fall, progesterone, we lose the temperance it has on cortisol. So we start becoming more and more sensitive to all types of stress, skipping meals, over-exercising, being stressed, um, inflammation, missing meals, um, work stress, lack of sleep. We just, all those things tend to have a bigger impact on us. And then the loss of the estrogen actually will make us more insulin resistant. So you may not be like, in a PCOS type situation, but you may find that your particular diet all of a sudden doesn't work as well anymore and you don't tolerate as many carbohydrates or the types of carbohydrates that you used to really love and that used to work for you. So Everything I feel like with women's hormones, the thing we have to remember is that they are a moving target. So we know they change for us throughout the month. Um, They change, you know, every couple of years. They certainly change pre and post baby. And then they change every decade. So we have to really know that they're a moving target and continue to heed those signals, you know, start to listen to those, you know, The hormone talk that you're hearing and start to work with that and not hold too tightly to something that may have worked for us when we were at another phase in our life.
1: Got it. And of course, I'll have links to your site in the show notes and including some of your posts on these topics we've mentioned, but where can people find you if they have one of these problems, especially, and are looking for some hope, where can they find you online?
0: Sure. So my website is betterbydrbrooke.com. And one of my, um, things that I love on my website is I have a hormone quiz, so you can just walk through and kind of take these quizzes about insulin, cortisol, estrogen and progesterone and thyroid and get some insight because lab tests are super important and they're a piece of the puzzle, but your symptoms can really tell you a lot that is maybe subclinical, maybe it's not um, an overt issue, but it's, you know, uh, you're struggling in that area. So taking the quiz is great. You can also get some free information by taking that and some protocols. So that's a really good thing to do on my website website. So that's betterbydrbrooke.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook very regularly. So you can find me there as well. Both of those also at betterbydrbrooke.com. And I have a podcast with Sarah Fagoso, who Katie, I know you know that is better every day with Sarah and Dr. Brook. And you can find that anywhere um, that you get your podcast.
1: Awesome. And of course, I'll have links to all those in the show notes for anyone looking for them. And I really appreciate your time. I this is such an important issue um a lot of women are struggling with hormone problems and we're seeing a rise in these so i love that you're out there doing this work and helping women get to the root of it and not just treat the symptoms and again i really appreciate your time and being here today oh thank you so much for having me anytime and thanks to all of you for listening i'll see you next time on the healthy moms podcast if you're enjoying these interviews would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on itunes for me